So every year we choose a verse to guide the life and mission of our congregation. And uh, if you turn in your bulletin today, you'll see that it says our verse, singular, for 2017. But this year we have a three-for-one special. (laughs) And uh, we have three verses that we're going to be learning together. We want to begin practicing it together this morning, right now. And uh, I encourage all of us uh, to learn this together and to learn it especially uh, with our children. So this first time, I invite you just to listen to it. And uh, then the second time, uh, we'll line it out together. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me. All you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, please repeat after me. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. All right. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the way that in Scripture we again and again hear your invitation to come to you. And we hear that invitation most fully in Jesus. So today, like our dear brother said, we want to take you up on the offer. And we want to come to you in fuller ways. By hearing your word, by sharing communion with you and one another. Come to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the uh, 90s, uh, Danette and I traveled to England to go visit her brother, who was doing a couple years of voluntary service there. And by the way, I should mention that one of our own, Ben Zook, is going to be traveling very soon, I think next Saturday, to England for a semester of studies in Wales. While we were in the Lake District, we were driving along one of those beautiful pastoral lanes when all of a sudden we came upon a lamb wailing outside the fence to its mother. So we all hauled out of the car and uh, investigated and, and pretty quickly 
figured out that the lamb had squeezed through the fence. And so a group of us slowly and gently herded the lamb forward. One of us ran ahead and opened the gate. And we got the lamb right to the threshold of the gate. It was wide open, and right before it was its mother, green pastures, the flock, everything was there. And it turned around suddenly and fled down the lane and ran away. I thought a lot about that story when I was reading our passage today from Matthew 11. Because in this passage, we find Jesus coming to our world to bring all of us to God. And in the very first chapters of Matthew, chapters 4 to 7, or excuse me, 4 to 10, Jesus actually enjoys great success, huge crowds, as he goes around proclaiming the kingdom and healing people's broken bodies and broken hearts. But then in chapter 11, in our chapter today, we see suddenly a very profound shift in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus now encounters resistance, apathy, opposition, and even just plain out-and-out rebellion, people refuse to see in Him the very time of their visitation from God. He opens the gate and folks run away. And in chapter 12, a chapter later than ours today, we even find some folks plotting to kill him. And so already we can begin to feel the shadow of the cross falling upon his life and his ministry. In verse 17, Jesus says these wonderfully edgy words We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We wailed. You didn't didn't mourn. In other words, John the Baptist came as a teetotaler, living on his strange diet of locusts, and folks said he was demon-possessed. But the opposite wasn't any better. Jesus comes as a friend of sinners and shares his table with all of humanity. And what do people call him but a glutton, and a drunkard. To what shall I compare this generation, Jesus says. He's had it up to here. Friends, to what would he compare our own generations here in 2017? And in what ways do you and I still respond to Jesus with apathy? with unresponsiveness, or out-and-out rebellion. In verse 26, and I invite you to turn to this passage if you'd like to follow along, we hear Jesus marveling about the special openness that infants have to his message. And I love that. What he's talking about is a category of people called the little ones. In Hebrew, in the Old Testament, they are called the anawim. 
the alien, the widow, the foreigner, the orphan. Those who are weak and vulnerable, they have a special ability to receive and to welcome his message. You see, God can work best with us when our hands are wide open. And when they're closed, whether we're pointing at somebody or shaking our fist or whether we just say we don't need any help, that's when God has a lot of trouble working with us. Jesus finds the most receptive audience among those who know their need for God. The best translation I've ever heard for the poor in spirit in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is those who know their need for God. It's a wonderful place to know or to be. And so Jesus finds his most receptive audiences among those who are sinful, those who are unprivileged, and those who are poor. Here's a great mystery, my dear friends. We are most accessible to God and to each other, not in our success and perfection, but in our vulnerability and our transparency to one another. Back in my late 20s, that's just five years ago, Well, actually, it's a long time ago now that I'm going to tell you what happened in my late 20s. I don't want you to think it was just yesterday. Back in my late 20s, I went through a time of deep personal crisis and spiritual searching. And during that time, I started reading the Bible again for the very first time in many, many years, almost almost 10 years. And I felt especially impacted as I read those parts of my Bible with the red letters. And you know who speaks the red letters? Jesus. And none of his words touched me more deeply than the three verses that we've chosen for our congregation this year. Come to me. And I felt like he was saying that to me. Come to me, Todd. All you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. As I said last week, we treasure the Bible, and we keep on studying and wrestling with it because it's there among other places, but it's especially there that we meet Jesus. The living word of God. I'd like to look at Jesus' words now in these three verses in more detail because we see a kind of threefold pattern that I'd like to unpack a little bit. Come, learn, and rest. First of all, notice the beginning. It's so crucial. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Come to me. A few years ago, 
Glenn and Annabelle were reflecting with their grandkids on Easter morning about the meaning of the resurrection. And they had all their grandkids gathered in a circle on the floor. And that's when Anna, age six, suddenly piped up, I know what it all means. She said, opening her arms wide, God is saying, come. God is saying, come to us. And in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus repeats this same message three times, come. Come, come. I guess we need to hear it a lot to believe it. Jesus invites us to come. And that's exactly the kind of church that we want to be as well. We want East Chestnut to be that kind of invitational community, inviting folks to come to Jesus even as we come to him ourselves. Now, after we come to Jesus, he gently invites us, he humbly invites us in verse 29 to start learning from him. This word learn, by the way, shares the same root as the word disciple. Jesus invites us to come follow him and to become his apprentices in kingdom living. In other words, Jesus invites us not to memorize a brand new set of rules. He invites us instead into a very deep and personal relationship with him. There's that beautiful preposition again, with him. He invites us into a transforming communion with him. He invites us to make his ways of reconciliation and love and forgiveness our ways. He invites us to make his mind, the mind of Christ, the expansive mind of Christ, to make his mind our mind. And as I love to tell you folks, the more you and I start becoming like Jesus the more each and every one of us is going to become who we really are. It's a great mystery. The more you become like Jesus, the more beautifully you become who you really are. And then Jesus tells us that this learning happens as we take his yoke upon us. And don't worry, he's not asking us to get egg on our face. For all of you city folk, and that's me, this yoke, different spelling, that he's talking about is a piece of wood fastened on two animals at the very least so they can pull a plow or a cart together. Now, our English translation says that Jesus' yoke is easy. Some folks quibble with this and say that a better translation of the Greek here would be that his yoke fits each of us very well. It suits us. And as we put it on, 
we find that nice sense of fit and we discover that we're not carrying it alone. That takes me back to our Chicago days and a big, huge snowblower that we always borrowed whenever a storm came through Chicago, which was quite a lot, or often. And at first I get out that snowblower, and by the time I'd finished my work of cleaning off all the sidewalks and driveways, I was completely exhausted from all my pushing and pulling. You ever done that? (laughs) Because I thought it was all my work. And then somebody kindly came along and said, you know this snowblower, Todd, is (laughs) self-powered? And I learned that my work was to work with it instead of trying to do it all on my own steam, which wasn't a whole lot of steam. In the same way, Jesus' yoke is something we share with him and his followers and that he carries and pulls with us. Lastly, Jesus promises to give us his rest. Now maybe you're saying, wait a minute, preacher. Is this the same Jesus who asks us just in the earlier chapter, chapter 10, and then in chapter 16, to take up our cross? What's that got to do with rest? Well, let me give you some examples. When Jesus calls us to move towards someone with whom we're in conflict... To work at reconciliation, it can feel impossible. But then when we finally do it, we feel a deep sense of peace and rest. When Jesus teaches us to share open-handedly our money and our possessions, we cringe. No, it's mine, I earned it. But... When we open our hands and share with others and see the suffering of others lifted, we feel this deep sense of joy and rest. When we hear that our church is going to start to rehab a four-flat and move out one of our families from one house to another all in one day, we already feel tired. But then over 50 of us show up at both places. We make a lot of progress. Yeah, we feel tired. But we also feel a deep sense of rest in what we've accomplished. When Jesus calls us to turn away from temptation and to live faithfully and covenantally in our circle of relationships with one another, it can feel like a huge sacrifice. 
But later we discover a deep shalom in our lives. Free from the relational carnage and heartbreak that many of the people around us are experiencing. When the Spirit of Christ calls us to speak out at school, listen up high school students, middle school students, to speak out against racism or gay bashing or the violent ways of our nation, his yoke can feel crushing. I don't want to do that. But when we do step out in faith, we find ourselves set free from fear and we experience our Lord's rest. So by now, I hope it's clear that the rest that Jesus promises us is not life in a hammock or on a Caribbean vacation. It is the deep, deep, deep shalom that comes to us when we take up our cross with Jesus and we follow him. We rest in God. We rest in God and we rest from the hatred, the anger, and the anxiety that consume the hearts of so many people in our world today. We take a rest from that. And so this rest that Jesus invites us to begins here on earth and extends all the way into eternity. Two years ago, I was visiting Mildred Denlinger in the hospital at LGH. And when I was with her, I felt prompted to share the words that we're memorizing. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Those words have, wow, what profound meaning they have when someone is on their final hours. Well, she died two hours later. And fully, fully entered into her rest with Christ. I want to close with a story from my prayer retreat three years ago uh, in Colorado. You know, at these times, you have times of silence, and then you meet with a spiritual director. And he told me something that I'll never forget. He said, although Jesus first invites us to come to him and then later invites us to learn from him, he says most Christians invariably reverse the order. We say, get your act together, make yourselves worthy of God's love, and then you can come in the door. And then he said something that I'll never forget. It's a story I've shared with you before. He said, pastors, you should stand at the front door of the church and when people walk in, hand them the bread and the cup of communion and say to each person, here's how much God loves you. Receive 
God's unrationed, unmerited grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do ever to be worthy of it. All you can do is receive it with open hands. Just open your hands. So today, let's come to our Lord's table with open hands and simply be amazed yet again by His lavish grace. And then, after communion, only after, we'll be pausing to listen and to notice what kind of grateful response might be rising up in each and every one of us. Amen.